0: I hope that people just have the self-confidence in themselves to do whatever they want to do in the given moment or in a given day or in a given year. I think, um, you know, I really want the message to be, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. You just have to put your mind to it. And, um, you know, just because someone benches you or just because someone's like, hey, you're not good or you're not good enough now, that doesn't mean you can't be good enough later. Hi
1: everyone, I'm Lindsay Smith, host of Unrivaled's Inside the Jersey podcast. The podcast where athletes share their journey to becoming pros and the passions that fuel them outside of their sport. Today our guest is NWSL star, Jane Campbell. She's a four-year veteran, co-captain, and goalkeeper for the Houston Dash and a member of the U.S. Women's National Team. Campbell played a crucial role in Houston's first league title during the 2020 NWSL Challenge Cup. She is also the youngest goalkeeper to ever be called into the U.S. Women's National Team at the age of 17 and has become one of the best goalkeepers in the country. Jane, welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Super honored and super happy to be here. So it's been a wild year, but the NWSL did an amazing job getting creative with the first ever Challenge Cup and a Community Shield Fall Series that earn money for small businesses and organizations. What was it like for you navigating the uniqueness of this season?
0: Yeah, it was quite, quite unique. I think that's a great word for it. I mean, I'll still remember, I'll never forget it. You know, we were, it was a Friday evening um, in Houston. We were getting ready to play our first scrimmage of preseason, you know, back in maybe March and we were supposed to play Saturday morning and we got a text really late at like 1130 PM from our coach that was like, Hey, no one show up you know everything's postponed until further notice and we were all kind of like what on earth is going on you know and so um i think you know the league the fact that the nwso was able to put on the challenge cup in utah and it was really really well run and everyone was safe and you know thankfully we were able to get games and put on kind of a show for you know fans who were missing sports all over the world you know so it was cool to have be the first league to come back and present a bubble type tournament. And then um, I think because of the success of the challenge cup, you know, the fall series kind of trickled in, in the aftermath, which I think I'm glad that we were able to get games in at all after the challenge cup. I think we all assumed after the challenge cup, we would be done, but you know, the MLS was able to continue their season and they're still playing now. And you know, the fact that we were able to do the fall series, um, not in a bubble and we were kind of, you know, flying commercially, but, you know, following all these protocols, it was, it was quite intense, but I'm, I'm just super thankful. We were able to do it because, um, and do it safely. That I think was the most important part.
1: Within these two new league initiatives outside of winning the challenge cup, of course, which we'll get into shortly. What were the biggest positives that, that you saw from both of them?
0: Yeah, I think the fact that the, you know, the audience of the league grew tremendously, um, I know I'm not huge on stats, but I've seen stats about the Challenge Cup, how it's like blown up through TV viewership. And I think CBS, you know, backing us was huge because now we're on a bigger platform. And um, I really think the fact that there were no other sports on, people were kind of just like, all right, let's watch. And, you know, I think, or at least I hope it was quite entertaining. And I think it was. I mean, I know the players with the tournament aspect and, you know, the elimination games that, you know, that created a lot of entertainment for us as well. So I'm hoping the viewership with that, you know, rolled through. And I think it did with the fall series as well, even though it was just similar to league play and it wasn't like a tournament, I think viewership was still really high in the fall series. So I'm hoping next year in 2021, you know, everything kind of, hopefully fingers crossed goes back to normal and we can have a full season or somewhat of a full season. And I think, you know, viewership will stay really, really high. And I think when we're adding more teams in the leagues and more cities are involved, I think viewership will will keep growing. So I think that was a really, really big high point for the league and just women's soccer in general in this country.
1: Yes, absolutely. And then, of course, you and the Houston Dash are the 2020 Challenge Cup champions. But you did come in as an underdog. How much belief did you have in your team? And what did it take to capture that trophy?
0: Yeah, I think going, I mean, to be completely honest, going into the tournament, I had no clue what to expect when you knew everyone else was going through the same thing, you know, everyone got delayed, everyone was doing all these protocols. So it was quite different. So um, getting into the challenge cup, our first two games, we did really well. We performed, you know, lights out and got a bunch of points and the next two group games, we actually didn't play well at all and lost both games and we were like, great, you know, like We don't really know what to expect, but I think going into the quarterfinals, even though we've all advanced, I think we were like, okay, you know, we had a high, we've had a low, we've clearly, we clearly know how to play well. We just have to execute. And this is the time to execute because if we don't, we'll go home. So for us, I think when the pressure came, we were like, let's rise to the occasion. And we heard all the noise about how you know, we weren't supposed to win. We weren't supposed to be there. You know, we were one of the worst teams there, all this stuff. So I think we really just used that fuel and just continued on. And um, I think we put on a really good performance and not all of it was perfect by any means, but it got the job done. So I think we were happy with that.
1: What was the celebration with your teammates like after that win and, and those conversations that you guys had?
0: Yeah, it was great. I mean, um, you know, Budweiser did awesome with the Budweiser locker room and, Um, I think all of us were just like, we did it, you know, like we can't believe we did it and, um, we earned it. I think that's like the biggest thing is that we showed the league that we can play. And there's just this stigma about Houston that, you know, we're not great or we don't play well, you know, whatever you want to say. And I think we really proved everybody wrong that, you know, we can play, we're a great organization and we're here to win for the long haul. And I think going into the fall series, our coach made a point, you know, we have to continue on this trend of winning. We can't just win a Challenge Cup and then be done. So I think in the fall series, even though Portland came out on top point, points-wise, we, we had a really, really good showing in our pod. I just thought it was a really good year for Houston in general. I mean, we won the Challenge Cup and then placed second in the fall series. So um, it was just a really, really good, solid year for us. And so hopefully in 2021, we can continue that.
1: A lot of success for you and the Dash this season and hopefully moving forward. But, Jane, I want to talk about your journey to this point, starting with your family. So, both of your parents are former Navy fighter pilots. Your dad flew for the Blue Angels. Just what was it like growing up in your family?
0: That was quite strict. (laughs) Um, Got in a lot of trouble. No, I'm kidding. Um, It was great. I mean, I have an older brother. He's three years older than me and in the coast guard and, um, as a helicopter pilot. So he kind of went the track with my parents. Um, so I kind of view myself as like the black sheep of the family. Um, again, only soccer player in the family. So it was great because no one could coach me when I was younger. (laughs) Um, but it was great. I mean, I think, you know, the, the vision of kind of like achieving excellence and, um, you know, having that high expectation was, Kind of drilled into my brother and i at such a young age and um my brother is the smartest human i think i'll ever meet and he is such a perfectionist in his work so um he's someone i look up to even now and if i could ever get my craft to be as as good as his i think you know that's the day i should retire but um you know i think because he's kind of led the way with me in that and my parents obviously have helped us i think um you know, achieving nothing less than where I am now is, was kind of the goal. And, um, it always will be moving forward. So since you are
1: the only soccer player in the family, how exactly did soccer become your sport?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I remember at a young, young age, I mean, you know, after diapers, essentially my brother and I, I just did whatever he did. So, you know, I was in the baseball league with him. We were at tennis camp together. Um, and I think, you know, maybe a neighbor or someone was like, Oh, let's join this rec league. And so, you know, me and my neighbor joined this rec team. And then from there, I think I, I just really enjoyed it. So I just played, um, tennis, soccer, and then I ended up doing basketball at a young age as well. Cause my brother did, and he ended up, he's six, five. So he ended up not sticking with basketball, but I was like, Oh, you could have, you know, that could have been a nice career. But, um, so basketball, tennis and soccer were kind of my three sports that I played all the way up until college. And then, um, I just, you know, as I got older, you know, when I was 12 and 13 and 14, soccer kind of started to pick up the pace quite quickly. You know, doing like youth national team stuff and traveling with the state team and the regional team. So my parents and I were kind of like, I think soccer is probably your best sport. You know, maybe stick with it. And so um, I think it just stuck, and I I was really good at it um, compared to the other two. And so um, going into college, you know, choosing soccer to get recruited was was kind of easy, and then. Um, you know, fortunately I got recruited to a D1 program and, you know, fortunately I was drafted and here I am. There's been a lot of highlights throughout
1: your journey and and we can't sit here and talk about every single one of them because we'd be here for hours, but one that I definitely don't want to skip is that you became the youngest goalkeeper called to train with the senior team at just 17 years old.
0: Yeah, I thought it was, it was crazy. I mean, Paul Rogers was the goalkeeper coach who called me in um, and Tom Sermani was the head coach of the full team at the time. And oddly, Paul Rogers is now with the dynamo here. So everything's kind of come full circle, but he did tell me at a U23 camp, he was like, Hey, you know, be ready. You know, one day you might get that call and you need to be ready to go into full team camp. I was like, okay, like no problem. And I go home and literally a week later he called me and he goes, Hey, times now, you know, you're leaving in a week. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And, um, I remember it was, you know, clear as day. It was in Jacksonville, Florida. And, um, my roommate was Lauren Cheney, who's now Lauren Holiday, and um, you know she was the best mentor I think I could have had as a roommate, and just so sweet, and um, you know really showed me the ropes of the group. And um, the goalkeepers were Joe Lloyd and Hope um, and Nicole Barnhart, who I knew from Stanford days. So um, even though I was in definitely unfamiliar territory, it was kind of nice to have a few familiar faces and. Um, The goalkeeping group was great. I mean, they, you know, they made fun of me any chance they could as this little 17-year-old kid, but um, I like to think I held my own, and I think Paul was happy I was just in there to just get the exposure. I mean, I think that was the biggest takeaway was that I was exposed to this level, and, um, you know, it took a few years for me to get called back in, but I think that's because I knew what I needed to do to get to that benchmark, and then once I was there, then I had to grow with the team as well. So, um, super honored to be there. I mean, it was such a cool moment, and um, like you said, it was it was just so long ago, but I'll I'll never forget it, it as clear as day.
1: So to bring this all full circle, how much did your family support during this stretch of years where you were really honing in on your craft help shape who you are today as as both an athlete but also as a person?
0: Yeah. I think without my parents, my brother, I, you know, I definitely wouldn't be here. I mean, I can't, you know, thank my mom driving hours and hours and hours for just a silly soccer practice. You know I mean? Looking back, I'm like, would I ever do that? You know, as a mom, I don't know, but <laughs> um, you know, she did, she literally put kind of her afternoons and evenings on hold just so I could go to training and um, you know, my brother would always have crew events and I'd have to miss them because of a soccer tournament. And um you know i wish i wish i could have been there to support him as well but i think he knew bigger picture that you know his career, career was you know just for the high school days and then mine mine could potentially be a career down the line so um i think my family has made a ton of sacrifices for me and um i'm so thankful for that and don't know why i got the royal treatment in that regard because um, i wish i could you know do stuff for them in that way but um yeah without them i i definitely wouldn't be here and um you know i think even though we don't really talk too much like soccer strategy, I think the idea of kind of like I said before about like kind of achieving excellence or getting as close to it as you can, that will always, every phone call, you know, mom and dad are always asking how everything's going. So um, I think I'm, I'm really thankful that they still kind of chirp in my ear in that regard. So I don't kind of go off the path and um, I love it. I love having a drive with them and kind of relating to them in that way, even though it's not necessarily a soccer drive. So um, I'm super thankful for them.
1: You're striving to achieve excellence on the field, but you're also striving to achieve excellence off the field. You are very involved in the community and especially the military community. Now, I know you have the connection from your parents there, but when did you know that this was a community that you really wanted to get behind and help support?
0: Yeah, I think um, growing up, you know i've i've been around veterans and active duty people you know all my life whether i knew it or i didn't and um i think when my brother you know when he was maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school he knew 1000 percent he wanted to go to an an academy and so um i kind of had known what that meant and my mom went to the naval academy and i had been there a few times just to visit so i knew i knew what was going on and i knew that my brother wanted to serve but i think as i got older i kind of really understood what it meant and I knew, I knew I was not going to serve, it just, you know, those people are heroic people and I just could not do it. Um, So as someone who's so close to people who are active duty and or veterans, it's just kind of like, how can I do my part when I'm not serving to help them? And um, I was able to attend the Blue Angel Foundation's annual event in 2018, um, and fortunately, my dad is very close with the foundation. So we all went as a family and um, we got to talk with all these veterans who have come back from um, duty and suffered and, you know, battled through PTSD. So I was, you know, it was so eye-opening where I'm complaining that I don't have a ride to soccer practice or my car broke down and these people are, you know, fighting this internal battle with themselves every day because of their service overseas. And I just thought, you know, who am I to be complaining about? something so little when there's this huge problem going on in this country um, when it comes to, you know, veteran suicide and veteran treatment. And so after that event, I was really uh, like, you know, my I, my eyes were so open to this cause. And I was like, what can I do to, you know, help? I mean, I'm not going to go serve and I'm not going to go, you know, help them physically, but how could I do it? So my dad told me it takes $5,000 to put one veteran through Um, PTSD protocol and I was like oh my gosh how can we raise money and so um, I started to get involved with the foundation and unfortunately I couldn't go last year because of um, our season was extended and this year um, the event was virtual so that was cool to attend the zoom um, event but I think just getting to know people who have had such a crazy story um, or it's crazy to me and it's not so crazy to them I think being able to say okay you know I've got some problems in my life, you know, whether it's a little injury or whatever, but there's much bigger problems, I think. And if I can help in any way, you know, whether it's representation on a field and, you know, someone sees a pair of my cleats that have the Blue Angel Foundation on them, or, um, you know, I wear a sweatshirt with the logo and people ask about it, as long as money is getting donated to these veterans to get them through protocol, I think that is, that would be a dream come true if we can get veteran suicide down to you know, non existent.
1: Yeah, and so one of the ways that I thought was really cool is that you're supporting this community is you're crossing your clothing line with this initiative. So first let's tell me about your clothing line, Ace of Spades. How did that start? Yeah, it was originally gonna be I'm
0: you know you can see my logo there. It was um originally gonna be a sock brand and then you know long story short, I figured I figured out that making socks is actually much harder than making a t-shirt. And so I just didn't have, I just didn't know how to do it and I couldn't find the help. And so I just put that on hold. And one of my teammates actually was like, why don't you just start with t-shirts and go from there? And so my favorite apparel item, I guess, is actually a hoodie, even though in Houston it's so hot, you can't really wear hoodies, but um, I started to do a couple hoodies. And then from there, it's kind of branched out to a couple crew necks and a couple t-shirts but the whole idea of the ace of spades is that um, whenever I played cards and me and my mom played cards growing up you know every day in the morning before school um, I found that every time you played a card game most everyone was like oh who's got the ace of spades like play that card or that's going to be the trump card or you know it's always this valuable card for whatever reason in any almost any game so um, I always thought to myself like you know I feel like I'm that card on a given team or in a given moment, but people don't really realize they have it yet. Um, and it kind of reflects my soccer career a bit, you know, I got benched my rookie year and um, then I was given a second chance, you know, a little bit down the line, my rookie season and end up playing really well. And then the whole team was like, oh my gosh, you know, like you're great. And I was like, well, I've known that, you know, <laughs> so um, for me, the card kind of reflects that just like self-confidence, you know, like, you know, you're holding that card in your, in your hands and just don't be afraid to play it and, you know, be the trump card essentially. So um, that's kind of like the message behind the brand. And so then with the Blue Angel Foundation, um, you know, I was talking to my dad a bit about how I could potentially raise money through Ace space Spades to get donated to the foundation. So um, I just figured, I was like, let's just make a sweatshirt and make a crew neck. So um, it's a navy blue crew neck with a gold emblem and a gold um, patch for the Blue Angel Foundation. And I just said, okay, 50% of all proceeds will go to the foundation. So We've ended up making, I think, around twenty five hundred dollars through those sales. So we're halfway to the goal of five thousand dollars. So it's just been really cool, and I think people can relate to the brand, um, and they don't have to be athletes. You know, it could it could be a business person, or it could be a young kid, or you know, even my grandparents, even though they're probably biased. But I just think it's a great way to connect people and. Um, whether, you're, whether you're in the military or you're not, or you, you have friends in the military, you don't. I mean, I think it's just a message that we can all kind of get behind. And um, I just figured if the money goes somewhere that is beneficial, that's, that's really all that matters. All right. Two final
1: questions for you, Jane. One, when people wear your clothing line, what do you want them to feel? And two, tell us where we can get it so that we can go support um, both your clothing line and this initiative.
0: Yeah. Um, I hope that people just have the self-confidence in themselves to do whatever they want to do in the given moment or in a given day or in a given year. I think, um, you know, I really want the message to be, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. You just have to put your mind to it. And, um, you know, just because someone benches you or just because someone's like, Hey, you're not good or you're not good enough now, that doesn't mean you can't be good enough later. And, um, you know, I could have been benched for three years. You know, thankfully I was I was not benched for more than I think six months, but you know, it happens to everyone. Everyone gets kind of put on the back burner at some point in their careers or maybe, you know, in school and middle school, high school, you know, you name it. And I think as long as you know that you can, you know, get the ball rolling again, you just have to have that self belief that you can do it. And just because someone says otherwise, that doesn't mean someone else is in your corner saying, Hey, you can do it too. So um, I just hope people know I'm in the corner and that they can do it. And I, I think that's what the spade, Ace of Spades represents. So, um, and you can get it at aceofspadesapparel.org. Um, Instagram is at aceofspadesapparel. So um, yeah, shop a lot.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Be sure to support Jane and all the initiatives that she is supporting. Jane, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure getting to chat with you today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Super happy to be here. And you guys are great. Thank you so much.
1: This has been the Unrivaled podcast, giving fans a refreshing look at sports. I'm Lindsay Smith. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Look for Unrivaled's next Inside the Jersey profile of a likable professional athlete coming soon.